I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't that feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man, and get that cream, black man. We the original man. Alana, what's going on? Mike, what's up? A whole lot's going on, and we have a whole lot to discuss. That probably won't be covered in this one episode, but we're gonna do our best. I feel like, Alana, you're going to be the host this episode, right? I'm the guest because yes. Alana hit me up. She was like, Mike, I want a podcast on Monday. I was like, all right, let's do it. We jumped on. I was like, what are we talking about? She's like, I got a whole list. <laughs> I definitely have uh, our agenda for today, and uh, I'm excited. So, Mike, that being said, what's your confession? So, I think I'm a walking contradiction. And I confuse people, mm. not in a bad way, but just in a way of, I don't know. Um, I just look confusing to people, right? Like I got a beard. I live in Newark. <laughs> I'm a Hoover veteran fellow. I'm like a super patriot. I don't know if I told you, Lana, but I'm part of another book called I Love America. And I'm no a contributing <laughs> author. I'm a contributing uh, author along with 13 other veterans. Um, Congratulations. But, you know, when people see a veteran out there doing good, right, representing the community, being in these very conservative environments, right, I think the assumption is that, like, I don't know, you think the same way they do, right? That, like, I'm above race, you know, Um, that I believe in capitalism, which I do. Mm. But at the same time, I'm also very critical of capitalism, you know, Um, and that's why I reference that, like, I'm a walking contradiction, right, because it confuses people. Because they're used to either one or the other, right? They're used to like the far right black dude, you know, <laughs> who's like just, you know, God, country, core, right? Yep. Um, and then they're used to like the left, right? I don't even like to use those terms, lefts and rights, but um, they're used to guys on the left, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, racism is still alive. They just be concealing yep. it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then here I am like, you know, living black, talking black. <laughs> Right and black, but I find myself in a lot of um, different spaces. So I guess that's why um, I feel like sometimes to other people, you know, I can look, come across as like a walking contradiction. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. I think that's a beautiful thing. That's why I've always struggled with myself with labels. Yeah. I don't like labels. And I think that's that's what you're describing is that you're not falling into people's preconceived notion of how they label veteran, how they label proud black man, how they label Marine Corps officer, you know, just, and we all got to better understand that. That's what makes us uniquely us. We don't have to fit into all those different categories fully. We can fit in where we want and where we do and keep it moving somewhere else. So I love that. Yeah, because um, the Hoover Institute um, it's not Hoover Institute. It's actually a Hoover Institution. Let me make sure I say that correctly. Got it, got but they, it. you know, they describe themselves as right of center, right? So mm. they promote the ideas of um, free market, individual okay. freedom, and living a government. Um, and I, you know, the catch, the slogan is like ideas that define a free society, right? Okay. And so on one end of the spectrum, right, I got Thomas Sowell in my uh, Audible. You know, and on the other end of the spectrum, I'm reading Carter G. Woodson by my night saying <laughs> miseducation of the Negro, you know, and for me, right, like um, and this is what I've come to decide, determine. Mm-hmm. This is my own philosophy. For black people. 
it's this old saying, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever lens you look at America through, yeah, that applies, yeah. right? So on one end of the spectrum, there's tons of opportunity. We can start businesses. We can get our education. We have opportunity for social mobility. Mm-hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, black people are living in projects all over the country. We got bad food. We got bad water. We got a government that seems like it doesn't care. Um, and so what I have determined is my philosophy of what does the negative really do for us in terms of moving the needle, right? Mm-hmm. So like if I'm a, if I think that we have a lot of opportunity in this country, okay, and I think there's opportunity for social mobility, that's where I want to focus the brunt of my efforts mm-hmm. in terms of how do I help more people achieve economic and social mobility through the pursuit of free enterprise um, as opposed to merely, I don't know, just calling out the obvious, you know, and not doing nothing about it. So that's my own little kind of apolitical stance of how I approach uh, uplift of black black people and brown people too. And I got a whole episode I need to do on people of color because honestly in my gym is black and brown. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're not black or brown, right? Here, here comes a contradiction. Like, I'm just for supporting <laughs> the people, right? Wherever they are, right? People need help, but I have an people. affinity for people that look like me and live in communities that I come from. And that's, I think what you're saying is deeply important. It's a solution-based mindset. It's not discounting the fact that there are problems and there are issues. Yes, there absolutely are. But I get exactly what you're saying because... Um, it's something I used to tell my department on the ship when something happened or we had a problem we had to solve. We'd spend a little time discussing what that problem was and putting maybe some energy into the irritation surrounding that. But after a couple of minutes, it's like, all right, shift energy. Like we don't, we can't give energy to continue to give energy to the problem. We need to really focus all of our energy on the solution. And it's hard to pull people out of that sometimes because it can be hard. It can be consuming. It is consuming. But I think there's a balance of it. Like you said, there's the different lenses and we're in different positions. People are in different positions to look in different lenses. And that allows people to take a different take on it and allow some people to uh, step in and say, hey, I have the bandwidth. I have the energy to help provide solutions. So I think what you're saying is very important and very powerful discussion. I think people are always trying to put us at odds against each other as black people. Now, some people deserve it. Candace Owens, you deserve it. Right? <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Candace Irvins deserves it. But for everyone else, though, like the Malcolm and the Martin, you know, that mm-hmm. like we're this just giant monolith that's either left or right, left or right, black or white. Like we all got to just there's only, you know, uh, two ways to look at things. But we're all mm-hmm. I like to think a lot of us are working towards the same goal, which is like, how mm-hmm. do we move um, the culture forward, right? Yeah. Um, and we're all doing it our own way. We're all coming with it through our own lens. Before becoming an entrepreneur, I was super critical of Booker T. Washington, mm-hmm. you know, and his whole mm-hmm. cast your buckets where they are, you know. But when I was yeah. in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> I grabbed the <laughs> buckets, I start casting, you know. I was like, I ain't got a lot, but I'm, I can figure something out. Let me launch this podcast. Let me do something. Hey, and so, it's that different lens, right? It's a, it's a different lens. A different lens, yeah. And so I'm proud of what we're doing because, you know, we're contributing. 
We're actually contributing. You know, um, one of the reasons I was reading um, Carter G. Woodson is because I come from that kind of lineage, this idea of like the give back, the uplift, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I'm just always trying to think about how can we do it better, you know, in our own little way. Um, So I know it's a tangent. That's probably not what you want to talk about today. No, no, I think this is, first of all, we're going to talk about where we talk about because this is the natural flow. No, but I love that. And that's important. And you go back to like the pitting against um, one another. And I watched a documentary and just about Malcolm X and I've read and I've watched about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And just, man, if they would have had time or if there would have been a space or if there wouldn't have been the, the, the media of pitting them against one another and show like, having them be polar opposites so that they were diabolically opposing one another. It, it just great example of where a collaborative opportunity could have been hugely yeah. impactful, but we know a lot of stuff was going on there behind the scenes and for the both of them in the end. Um, but what I like what you said and something I wanted to highlight is we lose sight that, and I love this phrase in this quote, it's like, Two diametrically opposed truths can be true at the same time. And so like the different lenses that you're talking about, it doesn't negate either side or multiple sides or all the sides experiences. It's just if we can appreciate that it doesn't and that we all have something to bring to the table and give and that no one person's position threatens the other. It's just like when we were writing the book and collaborating, like you would always say, like, you have an abundant mindset, not a scarcity mindset. You giving and pouring into somebody else or uplifting somebody else does not take away from you. And I think that is a cultural thing that we could really use to bring us all together and to move forward together in our own, through our own respective lenses, respecting that and respecting everybody else's. You know what I mean? I know it sounds like a little kumbaya over here, but like, I do think it's possible. And like one of the things I'm looking at now where I'm going to submit a paper to the Hoover Digest and my paper (laughs) is going to be focused on um, entrepreneurship as a form of poverty alleviation in American inner cities. Mm. And as challenging as it is to start a business and scale it today as a black entrepreneur, veteran or otherwise. Yep. Right. How the hell did we do it in slavery after slavery? You know, and we couldn't even sell to other people. We couldn't even sell uh, to white people. We could only sell to our own, you know? So it was like a closed loop. And now we can sell globally. And so what I'm doing is I'm looking at some research um, from a couple different authors, John Sibley Butler. I forgot Walker. I forgot Julietta Walker. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's another guy that wrote a book called The Negro as a Capitalist. So this is all kind of happening at the same time. Like when you become an entrepreneur and you start writing stuff about it, now it's like, okay, how do I, you know, I don't know, man. I'm just doing research on like how black entrepreneurs have survived and thrived from the beginning of this experience that is America. So that's what I'm working on. I'm excited about that, Mike. Hugely excited. And then like if this conversation is even a hint to what you're going to be writing, it's going to be impactful. Very, very impactful. What about you? What's your confession? Ooh, we talked about this before and it's like, I was like, is that a good confession? I don't know. You know, right. I I wanted to say last time I talked about imposter syndrome and 
I'm really not feeling that anymore. I'm stepping into a lot of things. I'm honoring myself. I'm aligning with myself and what I know my talents are, what I know I can provide people, the value I give, what how I can help people. So that's really kind of fallen by the wayside that. But um, and my confession that I'm about to say is also something that turned around recently too within the last couple of days. But Black Veteran Entrepreneur is actually the fifth book that I've published. And um, I was still finding it hard to like post on LinkedIn. <laughs> I, uh, you, you've been telling me for weeks, Alana, just get in there. Alana, just get in there. Alana start. Cause you were like, you know, you, you posted for like, I think it was 20 days straight. You just were writing and posting, writing and posting. And you weren't worried about perfect. You weren't worried about any of that. You were just focused on getting things out there and teaching and helping people. And so, um, yeah, I was struggling the last couple months with stepping into that. And I'm glad to say that I, I stepped into it and it feels good. And whatever block I had mentally put up about being afraid to hit publish didn't happen. Got nothing but support and love. So um, that was my confession that after five books, I was still afraid to hit publish on a post on LinkedIn. <laughs> You're not new to social media, though. I mean, you've been on Instagram. You've been on Facebook. What is actually- it about... What is well, it about LinkedIn? Go ahead. Um, it's not. It wasn't just LinkedIn. That's just the new plat- newest platform that I I came to. Um, it had to do with. It's all about comfort zones, right? Yeah. So, the first time I published my poetry on Instagram in 2016, I was terrified because it's like well, I thought, well, what are you know, all the thoughts, what are people going to think? This is silly. Like, how is this going to connect? All the things that I was thinking. Oh my goodness, this is about me all of that stuff. And so, um, just discovering my voice, it's another level of discovering my voice in a different and new arena. And I feel good about it now. So I'm glad about that. And we're going to get into one of the catalysts that got me into, uh, my voice on LinkedIn. Let's get into it. I'm ready. All right, Mike. So For our early supporters, what do you want to say to them personally? We've been sending out our newsletter to them, doing our best to keep them updated. Um, But I want you to speak to how they were instrumental to this whole process and how you feel um, towards them for that support. Yeah, I mean, it means the world, to be honest. Um, And I talked about this on the last podcast. Like, People think I'm like super confident that I got it all figured out, and that is not the case. (laughs) <laughs> and up until I hit push on the crowdfund campaign, I mean, I again, I was worried we we wouldn't make enough money to cover the cost and I'd have to come out of pocket. Mm. Um, and like, what, who am I to write a book, right? Like, I ain't got it all figured out yet. Like, I'm not on the cover <laughs> of Forbes yet, you know? Um, yeah, I like the yet on that. But for people to come out and be like, damn, Mike, we really want to hear what you have to say. Like, yeah. even when I was writing the book, right, people were like, well, you need to put out a memoir, you know, I'm like, am I that interesting? You know, um, yes. but no, it means a lot. And honestly, the early supporters are what really gave me that final push I needed, you know, because, you know, listen, it was team struggle bus back here. Right. Uh, Alana's like, Mike, I need this. I need this. I'm like, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. You know, literally, <laughs> I'm running Ironbound Media. I got Ironbound Boxing. I'm trying to maintain my personal life. And it's it's it's. And uh, it feels like a giant headache. That's what it feels like, you know, writing a book. It's like that 
nagging migraine and maybe it's the anxiety or something that comes with it, but that's what it feels like. Um, but man, when y'all came out and showed so much love and support and we're like, yo, we want to hear this. We want to read your book. I was like, Alana, we got to finish this. We got to get this across the line. And I literally remember that text. You're like, oh, this is real, real. <laughs> yeah, it's real. You make it real. And I think that's the thing, man. I think people have goals and ambitions, but they don't have any skin in the game and they're not accountable to anyone. And I yeah. felt very accountable to our early supporters. That's powerful. I love that. And I, I'm really, I hope they know um, how much we've tried to honor them, how much we've honored them and that support. And it, like we sent out in the newsletter the other day, we will always continue to honor them from this book to the next book and all the ways, big and small that we can, we will always remember um, the people who came out and were early to support the project. I also got to give a shout out to somebody else, Mikoto Yoshida. Y'all have had Miko on the podcast, Confessions of an Asian American. But mm. people see a book come out and they think it was just like, honestly, it, was, it wasn't just that like, I don't know, eight month sprint or whatever it was, you know, because I've been writing for like a few years now practicing the craft. And during the pandemic, I think between 2020, probably around summer 2020 and 2021, I was jumping on Zoom calls, just writing for an hour with Miko. Mm. You know, I was doing writing sprints. So I got all these folders of writing sprints of me just blah, you know, and I probably read 15 books on writing. And then I did the ship 30 for 30, you know. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff that's happened behind the scenes, people supporting. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Miko, though, because Miko, you know, he's got a background in publishing. He went to the new school. He went to the Naval Academy. But he's going to grad school at the new school. Um, and when I came up with the idea to write uh, Confessions of a Native Son, the book, mm -hmm. that's what I was actually working on before Black Veteran Entrepreneur. And then I reached out to you and decided to make the pivot to Black Veteran Entrepreneur because I realized I need to make this first book easy. And Black Veteran <laughs> uh, Confessions of a Native Son is like, that might, that's like a soul-searching book. Yeah, yeah you're going a little too deep. deep. And honestly, though, you know, again, with this BVE book, we're going to help a lot of people. And I'm not saying that the other one wouldn't help people. It'd be very probably therapeutic, but I mm -hmm. think it's going to be therapeutic for people and it's going to help them create some economic value for themselves, their community and their loved ones. I agree. And I, I, I do, like you said, both would and will be impactful. Um, but like you said, that one would be some deep, <laughs> yeah. deep soul searching. And that's, that's a different kind of writing too 100%. and not a writing that could be done quick by any means so all the perfect shout outs to our people who have supported us and like you said it's not a it hasn't been a just this project journey it's been a, it's been a long journey and a journey of a lifetime and all the entrepreneurial experiences you've had leading up to this like you wouldn't have been could have been the greatest writer in the world but if you didn't have the experience you've had then it wouldn't have specifically been this book so cheers to you on all of that and those accomplishments as well and so what i'm going to ask you to do is Pull up our Amazon page, the book's Amazon page, and we're going to um, publicly yeah. thank uh, the people who have already left us reviews. Reviews are major, by the way. I just want to say that, and I'm so grateful. I know Mike and I are both so deeply grateful for the people who've already left them, and we know that for the people that are going to um, to do so. Uh, and not only it helps the book, and it helps really for it to reach other readers who could find it beneficial. That's really 
what a review does. It tells the person who's looking around for a book that, hey, this book is for me. And our goal to be able to fully support that and get it to where it needs to go is, what was it, Mike? By the end of this year, we want to have 100 reviews? 150. Oh, okay. Yeah, we want 150. We just upped that. Okay. (laughs) In this moment, that got upped, by the way. So uh, our goal is 150 reviews um, by the end of this year. So the book can uh, be sure to find the people who need it. Yeah, I want to give a special shout out to George, Rache Russell, Cameron Kinley, and Stephen R. Morris for uh, going on Amazon, leaving us a review, and letting other BVs out there know it's a safe space. You know, because <laughs> a, a book is a big commitment for people. Um, and especially when people write business books, it can be hit or miss because yeah. a lot of times they're just selling a course or something versus just really giving pure value. Um, and the thing that I think people are going to be, uh, appreciate the most about the book is one of the interviews is like, this isn't a memoir. It's like Mike shares his story, but he also shares lessons learned and a lot of tools and frameworks for people to implement, you know? Um, and I thought that was like, bingo, like they get the essence of the book. Yeah. It's the good, it's the good balance of any guide is to, uh, incorporate all the, like the pieces and stuff. Cause you don't want to just spout a lesson to somebody. It's like a lesson is more beautifully contained and it also sticks better when it's included with or associated with the story. Yeah. And not to say we didn't share it. And what's more powerful sharing one story of a BV or using a platform to share a story of like eight other BVs. The eight other BVs. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely. So thank you to our first reviewers. We appreciate you all and everybody to come. We appreciate you as well. And we'll find a way to recognize you and honor you uh, for taking the time. I mean, you, you bought the book, you took the time uh, and the finances to do that. And then you're also taking the time to leave us a review. And again, all gratitude. So is there anything in the, in the writing process that you want to highlight? Um, I think I wrote it on your post. Okay. So when I start writing online and it's really my Facebook, like uh, maybe 2012, right around fighting mojo came out, you know, beyond just the surface level, like one sentence post, right. When you start sharing thoughts and yada, 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 People used to hit me up all the time, like, Mike, you spelled this wrong, this grammar, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. That was one of my and <laughs> it's crazy, right? Because you could write, like, the most thoughtful thing, and then somebody just blows thing. up your world by, like, oh, you spelled this wrong. But because I think I started doing that in, like, 2012, mm-hmm. right, I was just over it, right? I've always mm-hmm. struggled with grammar, and I've tried to do my best about, um, you know, having uh, something in place, people look over your shoulder, yada, yada. But sometimes I just get so passionate about what I'm writing that I don't want to hold it up. Like, it's almost like you lose the inspiration. So even on my LinkedIn posts these days, I have to go back and constantly change stuff because I'll reread it and I'll catch it. And I'm not going to say I have dyslexia, um, but I've always struggled. going on in our brains. Yeah, there's there's so much going on in my brain, but I've always struggled with words moving around and stuff. but I didn't let that get in the way. And little stuff like that, you'd be surprised is what holds people up beyond just like, how is this going to be perceived versus Mm -hmm. like, and I think me and you were having this conversation on the phone. Yo, black people got to be perfect. They never give us room for messy. And I'm not talking about like messy in a sense of like, 
gossipy and yada yada yada. It's like, yo, if you write a book, you got to be like Obama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Versus like, oh, wait, you went to uh, the Naval Academy or you went to University of Chicago or you went to Harvard and you misspelled something? I'm like, get over yourself, you know? And for me, the thing is like, yes, I think on one end of the spectrum, right, there's just good rapport with, you know, putting content out, right? You mm -hmm. should check your sentences and you should, yeah. you know, try to communicate. But also there's this assumption that people out there want these very well-read books and they don't, <laughs> you know, sometimes people just want click. And I'm not saying that's ours. I'm just letting people know, like I've done the research on this kind of stuff, right? Like there's a whole nother market out there of people that just want like books that What's they the feel substance? like they can connect with, with some yeah. substance, right? Yeah. Um, but black people, man, they just like, we got to be, like I said, like Obama or who else you got to say, Michelle, now, you know, just, so, <laughs> just so refined, so perfect when we show up mm. on the scene, um, mm. particularly those of us with education, you know, um, and I, I try to push back against that. Right. I try my best to show up. Um, I'm respectful, you know, mm. but at the same time, like I'm not perfect. And so I like to think that when I come on this platform, when I write, whatever, right? Like people don't view me as perfect. And I, at least I hope they don't. Well, it's, it's showing up authentically. Authenticity is so separate from perfection. And that's what, um, and you put it in the post and it's something that we've discussed too is, and was my problem is I was holding back so many projects and things in life because I wanted them to be perfect. And it's, I could, I could plan something to death to the point that it never comes to life. And that's seeking perfection. You can lose a lot of things and uh, miss out on a lot of things. So I, yeah, you put that in that post. We talked about that and you're like, Alana, we just got to get it out. Like, don't <laughs> just put it out. We could fix it later. Like, it's not, it's not the point. Don't let it not happen because it's not perfect type of thing. So that was a great lesson for me, especially during this book the whole process and you providing the balance for that. Um, especially when we got to the end of the book and you're like, Alana, I'm pressing submit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Mike, I was like, Mike, I'm not done formatting. Like I got a couple things I want to do. You said, Alana, I'm pressing this submit. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, I'm not even joking. If I could go back in time, knowing what I know now, just about how the world works, how the world views authority. I feel like I spent some of my best years in academia um, writing papers that never left the teacher, mm. you know, like I, and I'm wrong. I still got piss and vinegar in me, but not like I did at the Naval Academy. You remember those days being in bed, like you stay up till like three 30 in the morning, climb in your rack till four 30, climb <laughs> out to finish a paper, man. Think about how many books we could have written, but you know, it is what it is. It wasn't, yeah. you know, time and space for everything. But, um, yeah, man, it was brutal at the end. I mean, it was, I mean, you really got to just get out of your own head and just push. Cause like the last week was just, it was just brutal. It was brutal. It was yeah. hard, but now we know. And now we know. And it's like, it's only going to get easier, more refined as we move forward into our next books. One thing I do want to tell people, I, I put it on LinkedIn and I'm just going to drop it here real quick for anybody who's interested in writing. Like this can be good for, it's not just about a book. It could be good for an email. It could be good for 
social media, whatever. One of the things is Anne Hadley. Everybody writes. Uh, a, she wrote a book, Everybody Writes by Anne Hadley, and um, the Ugly First Draft. So one of the things that we talked about with perfection, Mike re- recommended this book to me when we were going into the process, and I read it, and it was amazing. I, I zoomed through it, and she talks about that per- done is better than perfection type of thing, and it's about just getting something out and on the page. It doesn't need to be formatted. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be what you're going to publish. Literally writing your stream of consciousness, whatever it is that you're about to do, is the best thing you can do because then you can pull from that and organize and go through the process from there. But having something on the page is more important than nothing. And, and Seth, then, I was going to say Seth Godin takes it further in his book, Ship. It doesn't count unless you ship it. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. He's like, yeah, you've got to ship because ship is where you really get the feedback. You know, because yeah. if you if you don't ship your thoughts out there, you're not giving people an opportunity to engage with them. And there's just something about writing and pressing send. There is. And then the idea of a book being something so permanent that this is always yeah. going to be associated with your name. It's like next level. It is. There's a little bit of a sense of relief. <laughs> and then also like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's done. <laughs> and I can't take that back. Um, yeah. So the second tip is to. I tell people this and it's pick a perfect person. And a lot of this, what's so amazing and interesting about this is a lot of these writing tips also fall into a lot of the framework that is in the book BBE for business, but it's like the perfect customer concept. You want to pick your perfect person when you're writing again, whether it's email, social media posts and it, you pick the person that you feel could benefit from what you're saying or the person that you want to read this and what you're saying. And you picture them in your mind and you write to them. You write to them like you're having a conversation and that then ties into the third one that leads into like the authenticity of your voice is after you write that, like you're having a conversation with the perfect person that you want to read what you wrote, you then read it out loud, read what you wrote out loud. And if there's a way you would say something different out loud than the way that you wrote it, because you were trying to write it in this, you know, A lot of people, when they write, they try to write in this extremely intelligent, educational way that sounds like it's a research paper put into like the most prestigious publication in the world kind of thing. And that's well and good if that's authentic in how you speak. But the most powerful thing that you can do in any writing that you do and speaking with people is to be authentic and to speak in your voice. It's more powerful than any way you can shape that sentence, obviously, following all the grammatical stuff of English, but that's more powerful than any way that you can format that sentence or make it sound more eloquent. It's for it to be in your voice and authentic. And so read it out loud. And if you'd say something different, go back and change it to the way that you would say it to that person in conversation. And I've noticed a major change in the way that I write with, uh, the using those tips. And, um, it also becomes more comfortable and more fun when you do it that way. And you get out of where people have writer's block or I don't know what to say. Have a simple conversation with your perfect person. Exactly you, how you would do it. Who do you think are... Uh, so this is funny because we might have different uh, opinions oh, yeah, on might. this. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think we were writing to? Who? 
the easy answer is to say black veteran entrepreneur. But we've had this conversation. It's like there's there's the people who are getting started. There's the people who are mid-level and there's people who are advanced in their entrepreneurial journey. And I think we were started, we were talking to uh, beginning uh, BVEs and also maybe inter- to intermediate beginners. Uh, so like entry-level beginner BVEs to people just getting on the cusp of intermediate one, providing a framework for those beginners, and then two, providing maybe areas that of refinement and areas that ne- maybe need reworking in their system and their processes for the intermediate um, entrepreneur. So that is who I would say the perfect person was. What about you? I'm going to go deeper. Oh, okay. I have a heart. I have a heart for makers, you know, mm. and I may be to go deeper. I think the, and I didn't do it as openly, mm-hmm. but I kind of think about like my mom and a lot of females I know that are getting started, black females yeah. that don't have any support. They don't got any help. Um, they don't have the educational pedigree, you know, that I have and they want to start. Um, you know, one of my clients is a tea brand, but just somebody that wants to start a maker. Maybe they want to sell shampoo, you know, yeah. and they're making it in their home and everyone's telling them it's a crazy idea and they're going to pop-ups and they're grinding it out and they don't know what they're doing. Mm. And I want to pay, pave a roadmap for them. And so I think part of my stick with like business literature is too, of like the agency of like black entrepreneurs, period. You know, like I want to, I'm, I'm sure there's books out there about like, um, I don't know, starting insurance agencies and tech startups. But like, what about the black dude that's starting a barbershop? Hmm. You know, solo dolo. Go yeah. gets his little license, says he wants to start his own shop, right? Can't afford rent. So he goes and works at somebody else's shop, right? Like, but that's really who I was writing for. It was like the underfunded, because I don't like to use labels, just saying mm-hmm. undercapitalized. Somebody that's starting, they don't have a lot of money. They don't have yeah. friends and family around. They're selling products. Um, maybe they have a tech product, but you know, that's really who I think I was writing for. I love that. That's also good for me to know. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't have that conversation before, but it's definitely um, a great seed for the future ones to come. And we can talk about every book. We can always talk about who is this book specifically for and go deep like you did, which is exactly the framework that you set up in the book about perfect customers that you got to really go deep about that person and understanding exactly who they are. And you laid it out really wonderfully. All right. So you I, had a reason, huh? I was going to say, I've done all these entrepreneur programs, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like 99% of the, the content that comes at us sometimes is not useful for mm. the majority of black entrepreneurs, let alone BVEs, yeah. right? Like BVEs, like we need to get out there and we need to start driving sales. We need to validate that we have something people are willing to pay us for. And we need to validate it with paying customers, you know, like the scrappy, bootstrapped black veteran entrepreneur. Like that's the curriculum that like we wrote up. That's who we're writing for. And I was going to talk about your event in Philly, but this is just a perfect segue into black veteran entrepreneur, black veteran entrepreneur, black veteran entrepreneur. Like people are going to hear that. They're going to see that. And that's going to make different people feel different kind of ways about it. Right. I know. I forgot. I didn't, me and a lot of we're texting back and forth. We're actually caught talking about this. We're like, 
this is going to be a thing where people are going to feel some kind of way. So we need to brace ourselves for how we're going to um, respond to it. And it's not like I, it's not like we did it in the uh, most subtle way. I mean, we took a black, <laughs> like we modeled the Black Panther logo. We know we did the comic book theme. So that's what she's talking about in Philly, because I went to Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is just outside of Philly and spoke to a group of 20 veteran uh, um, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs. And behind me on screen, I had the logo, Black Veteran Entrepreneur, loud as hell. And so you see that it's very like, it's it's very loud. And so- You can't miss it. (laughs) Correct. You can't miss it. And so people are going to feel some kind of way. And so how do we navigate that? Yeah. So we got our first, um, it was quite unexpected. Knew it was coming at some point. Didn't expect the medium that it happened. The yeah, medium that it happened. Um, Peter on LinkedIn. Yeah, we're not gonna say his last name. We're gonna let I'm him. I'm not live. gonna say his last name. And honestly, the first name has just become a title to me. I, I don't. It's just now assigned to the person who would stir stuff up like this. But somebody reached out. I have posted. Um, it was actually the three writing tips I just shared with you all. I posted that on LinkedIn because that's the arena I'm going to get into as far as helping people in some other areas as we move forward. And I used, I used a graphic of the book as, as my image for that post for three writing tips, by the way. And a, a couple of people had responded. And then I was looking through the comments and I saw a comment from someone, an individual who w- went on a major rant about, uh, pretty much saying we can't get past racism if people keep on bringing it up and making it the focal point of what they're doing and self-serving for their own agendas. And, you know, there's no such thing as black veteran. There's no such thing as black entrepreneur. Um, he called me a racist pretty much. He's like, you know, you can tell who a racist is by the people who keep on bringing up race. And I had to read it several times because I was so floored. I said, there's no way. I said, first of all, this is LinkedIn. Is this really happening on LinkedIn? And um, it it was. It did. So um, I have my thoughts and opinions, but I want to jump on, uh, ask you, Mike, like, what did you think when you initially read it? I got hot. I was like, mm. I got hot. And because it's like, I'm very cognizant of energy these days. That's why I don't watch the Jeffrey Dahmer mm. Netflix thing. I ain't got time for that energy. I don't need it in my life. I- I haven't watched that either because I, again, the same um, thing. It's too much. <laughs> and I knew it would piss me off. And then I read it and it really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. But I see stuff like that. And it's just like, again, it goes back to what we we're talking about. Is a glass half empty or is half full? The limits, right? Yep. And some people are like Sith Lords. And what makes Sith <laughs> dangerous is because they deal in absolutes. Mm, yes. Um, and I think guys like this Peter should be ashamed of themselves. Mm. I think one people feel a sense of loss of power and control in the narrative. And it's one thing when you um, dictate how people get to speak, right? Mm. Um, And their thoughts. Like, I mean, I'm a black veteran entrepreneur. How do you think people felt during Don't Ask, Don't Tell? You think Mm -hmm. their military experience is going to be all sunshine and rainbows? You know, they're going to have a whole different uh, um, experience of their time in the military. Okay, so who am I to discredit what they're talking about? And the thing is, right, like, 
I knew it was important for us to title the book Black Veteran Entrepreneur because I wanted our readers mm -hmm. to know we see you. Yes. Even yeah. if no one else does. Exactly. And I had a battalion commander who said something, don't be an asshole. And when you do a podcast in Spanish, so mm -hmm. non um, English speaking listeners can get value out of it, right? That's not being un-American because English is a native language. It's just letting them know, look, I see you. And, it's and I want to make excluding people. people. It's not excluding. Correct. Yeah. And we can't do it for everyone. I mean, there is a rabbit hole. And I do mm -hmm. want to do a podcast on this race to the bottom because mm -hmm. I do think when we start talking about privilege and oppression and yada, 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 there is this, this thing going on where people are trying to be like, I'm more impressed than you. No, I'm more impressed than you. No, I'm more impressed yes. than you. Versus yeah. what we're just trying to do is we saw a, a need. The need is walking into conferences, seeing four black veteran entrepreneurs walking into conferences on or seeing panels of mm. veteran entrepreneurs and not one is black. Mm. And like we're like like the military is not 40 percent minorities. Um, and so the group I knew we could affect the most. Was other black veteran entrepreneurs like us. I agree. And I have so many thoughts and things to say about that situation, and I'm going to try to keep it very concise. One of the things that, um, the first thing is that it, it goes to what you just said, is that we knew there was a need, but that type of behavior and that type of rhetoric gives continued indication that there's a great need. And I, I had talked about it on my Instagram, but not to give that person energy, but to bring up the conversation. Cause these are conversations that need to be had and people need to understand these things are not just going on on the global scale, but they're going on in the lives of people who, you know, that they're still dealing with stuff like this, that they deal with things like this. And one of the things I put, if you're not disrupting something somewhere, you probably not changing something elsewhere. And what we've done with this is we've we're creating a space. It was just confirmation to me that we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, exactly where we, we should be doing it and creating a safe space for ourselves and others, like you said, to be seen, to be heard, to be given tools that speak directly to the challenges that we've had. And man, I read it. And like I told him in the comment, I said, well, Peter, <laughs> you had a lot to say. Um, and I let him know I was saddened by it. I was saddened by the fact that when people come to a choice, they choose to tear something down rather than understand, learn, and build, um, which he had an opportunity to do. And also to see people and to come together as a collective and I hit him with the grace, which we talked about the other day after talking about the situation. We, as we go forward and this is possibly challenged or people have these type of comments or perspective on it, we're going to hit them with the grace and the well wishes and healing yeah. that, 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 that's that response. And that's not to act like it's not a problem because it is. Um, but we're not going to hold space for that on our journey. We're going to acknowledge it for what it is. But as we talked about in the beginning, we're going to continue to focus our energy and our thoughts on the solution. And that's continue to create this space, uh, continuing to write books, continuing to uplift 
other people. Um, yeah, I had somebody say to me, they were like, you know, Peter didn't deserve your grace. And I said, but this ain't, this has nothing to do with Peter. <laughs> this has everything to do with what we're doing, right? And what you're aligned with and what you value. And it's not to say what he did wasn't wrong because it was, but it's just, that's not the point. The point is allowing, never allowing someone else to separate you from being committed to yourself and what you value. And I value grace. I think we both value grace. We value uplifting people. And so no person now, no person later is going to separate us from that and what we're doing. Um, and also we're not really looking to change that person's perspective or those type of people's perspective and what they think what we're doing is creating a safe space for, uh, the people that we see and letting them know, like you said, that we see them. What I know is there's more of him out there, Oh, absolutely. but as I get older, I don't think there's as many as I initially thought. Okay. Right. Because like I've seen classmates. I got to give a shout out to Pat McCavitt. Okay. Pat McCavitt, Naval Academy, class 2010. All right, Pat. <laughs> I seen Pat going at the Naval Academy on social media about the Confederate statues. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I appreciate you, you know, yeah. um, for acknowledging how black midshipmen feel um, going to these institutions, whether it's the United States Military Academy, United States Naval Academy, and having these Confederate statues there. Um, um, given what um, the Confederacy uh, represents to us, right? Not just the nation, but to us. And I feel like we have a say and we have a perspective and our value, our, our opinion matters. And so when I saw that, and I'm just honestly, on one end of the spectrum, I was like, oh, America's getting soft, yada, yada, yada. But I also view this culture as a lot more tolerant these days. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. like I, you know, we grew up saying the F word, you know, and making fun of people because of their sexuality. But like, it's 2022, you know? And a lot of that stuff we learned from our parents and the church, yeah. you know? And so, um, I don't know. Like, I think just choosing love all around is what I'm getting at. Now, I did oh. hit Peter with a thank you for your service. <laughs> you did. Because this man should be ashamed of himself. 30-year colonel in the oh. army, combat veteran, and then and again, bad. my mind goes to, wait, you had direct reports over people, exactly. you know, and there are exactly. certain trends that these people tend to have. You see where they're mm -hmm. educated, the Liberty universities of the world and all these different mm -hmm. places. And so it's just like, I'm just not surprised, but I'm not going to sit here and say everyone thinks like that. No, um, absolutely not. And we have tons of supporters that are supporting the book that support Ironbound Boxing, you know, mm -hmm. that have been supporting me from day one. Right. Yeah. That are um, that don't think like that. And so, again, I think he is an outlier, but there are more of him. There are more of him. But I don't let that deter from the overall message that we're doing. And I mm -hmm. no longer let that. Um, I don't know. I think America's better than that. And I think our, our I think veterans are better than that. I get a lot of love from veterans, you know, so. I, it's probably, you know, 10,000 to one where I come across a guy like that. Yeah, I, I definitely, the direct report thing that you said was a conversation I think definitely needs to be had. And so going into everything as it happened and stuff, 
what I realized and something I've been thinking about the last couple of days is like, I'm not a type of person where, you know, be positive about everything. I think talks of positivity is a thing, but what I do think is important and a different way to frame it is perspective in all things is everything. Right. And so this man and interaction could have absolutely ruined my day, made me feel real, just maybe discouraged and saddened and stuff. But I didn't go that route. I I shifted perspective on it. And then definitely over the next couple of days, I allowed it to be an opportunity that it was. It created a lot of conversation, connection with people I haven't talked to in a while. It honestly sold us a couple books. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, it raised awareness to exactly what we're doing. But one of those conversations that several people brought up is, wow, this man said he had a 30-year career and this is his rhetoric. How many people, how many minorities within his direct report did he have influence on? 30 years. 30 years. And um, yeah, that's why I just what what we're doing and what so many others doing, that's just why it's so important. But he is an outlier but still out there. Um, but as we said, that's not our focus. Our focus is the safe space we're going to create. So I'm glad that we're continuing to do that. And I know you said the whole thing about toxic positivity yes. and trust me, I'm not Mr. Toxic positivity, but I am, I sound like I'm an old head now. Choose your, <laughs> choose what you give your energy to. Like oh, grandma, what yeah. you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, but come now, on, like, son, let me let me explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, but now I get it. It's like not today, devil. Yeah. You know, yeah, I got today. too much other stuff to worry about. You know, I'm not giving my energy to that, and so that's just where I'm at now. I try to choose what I give Absolutely. my energy to, and that that was my approach too. And man, that the power of perspective because I mentioned it earlier that it was actually that situation that I, then I followed up and I just threw something together on um, LinkedIn and I press publish. And I, I just said, you know, if you value nurturing people, understanding, learning, building and growth, we should definitely connect. And I hope that we continue to have meaningful, you know, engagement. I said, but if you don't value that, then we, we don't need to connect. And like with, with love and grace, all of that. And so, um, and then that all led me directly into a series of posting some stuff about honoring my father as I come to a close of my career this week. And it was just a catalyst of, yeah, this situation. And so, again, the power perspective and being able to use something that was presented to tear you down, being able to reframe it through perspective to be something that's a catalyst for good and just furthering what you're trying to do for yourself and others. I want to share a quote um, from right. Condoleezza Rice, and yes. I had a Which chance. You to just have... you yeah. just left details out. I mean, how many conversations do we have? You told me you were there. You told me you're in Stanford. You told me a lot of things, and then it's Instagram in which I have to see that you met her. <laughs> yeah, um, and I've been listening to her book on Audible, um, "Ordinary Extraordinary People." where it's a memoir of her family and her upbringing from Birmingham and you know how she got to the position she's in today. Um, and one of the quotes I put on my Instagram under that photo, uh, prejudice and bigotry are brought down by the sheer force of determination of individuals 
to succeed and the refusal of a human being to let prejudice define the parameters of the possible. Mm. Um, and a theme in the book is, you know, not just her book, but like our book is be so good. They can't ignore you. Yeah. You know, just, and that's a shout out to Steve Martin, the comedian for that. Cal Newport wrote a book, the same title, but that's just my mm. mindset, you know? And so like, um, and you hear me talk about this over and over again on this podcast, you know, Mike, you're so lucky. You went to the Naval Academy. Naval Academy set me up for success as an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, yeah, it gave me a, a good uh, platform, some great classmates yeah. that I built deep relationships with. Yeah. Yes, I didn't have to go to um, get a bunch of student loans and stuff, but that was also a choice, you know? And I mean it when I said I read over 300 books. Like, I got, I've been through the ringer. So I do take offense when people say you're privileged or you're lucky. Mm -hmm. You know, it has not been easy at all. Nothing has been guaranteed. Um, and so that's just my mindset these days. And so now I just come from a space where like, I just, I really try to focus on what I have control over. There's a lot in this life I don't have control over. Um, mm -hmm. But again, I choose wisely of what I dedicate my energy to. Yes. It's the most powerful thing that we can do is the one thing we have control over is we all heard it, said it, is ourselves. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? I think that covered it. I'm looking at my notes and um, no, I think we covered a lot. I think we, there's so many highlights that I think could be deeper conversations in themselves and um I'm sure you'll have an opportunity to discuss that with people. And as we go forward and we pop in and talk about the book here, uh, we'll have an opportunity to deep into, uh, dig into those things too. So unless you have anything to say. How has this experience been received on your side? Because I know like you start writing, you're like, Mike, your whole network's starting to come out and support, but you have a whole other network <laughs> of people that I have to interact yeah. with. How have they yeah. perceived, you know, you coming out with this book on, Black veteran entrepreneurship. Um, how's your family and how have all of them been? What have they thought about it? Everybody's been super supportive. Um, I think it's interesting because we have different, like you're discussing, we have different networks and communities that do overlap, obviously because of our history. Um, but we also have different brands and we're known for different things, right? And so, yes, everybody sees the Black veteran entrepreneur. Like we said, you can't miss it. But for me and my network, what it falls in line with is people do know me as a writer, as an author, as a, someone who publishes. And um, and so it falls in line with that. And I don't think Black veteran entrepreneur is the first thing that jumps out at them. Uh, people do know me more in the poetry field as well. Um, but I think that's expanding with this book of just publishing in general and publishing projects and everything. And um Everybody's super supportive as always. And just wanting to, uh, they've been giving me, I've been getting a lot of flowers recently from uh, my community and my network and my family and my friends. I'm um, telling me that they see me and that they hear me and that, you know, that they're excited for me for all to come. And that means the world to me, period. But it also means a lot to me in this transition. Um, and seeing that just reinforces that I'm aligned in the very place that I need to be. I feel the world shifting underneath us. 
because I feel like a mm. book just it's just such a statement for people. It yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I always assume people wrote books, had it all figured out. Yada yada yada. <laughs> Mike, we have it figured out. Don't tell them. But the we fact we took the time out. to write a book, even in the midst of our own hustle, we just kind of yeah. raised the bar. You know, and I'll be honest, my frat brother, AK, um, I had minded in my head that I wanted to do a book. And then when I saw he had written a book, it showed me it was possible. Mm. You know, so sometimes you got to read the universe. It ain't always about being first. No. But sometimes we need to be, we need to get inspired from people around us, you know? Um, And I think for a lot of our classmates, and this goes back to the Peter thing. It's one Mm. thing if we're just, people get offended because we're Naval Academy grads. (laughs) They're like, you're black Naval Academy grads, trained you know, at the Mecca, because, uh, you know, West Point, second fiddle of service. <laughs> Come on now, Mike. You know, um, and the fact that you would so blatantly, oh, you're black. You know, I thought we got that out of you. Like, no, <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying that there, there's some people that I think there's if we were just I don't know, we went to just some state school or um Cause you know, even in his comment, he was writing about the academy and being in Dahlgren Hall and yada yada yada. Like yeah, y'all, he had he really some ran down. He yeah. ran down his pedigree and was trying to tear me up at the same time, and it was just very, yeah. He, yeah. he was making a statement for sure. But we're, again, we're gonna let him live. But yeah. again, we got a book out, man. It's cool, and we appreciate y'all for yeah. supporting us. And I'm telling you, as I look towards the future, I want to get this article out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to submit this. I want to write this submission to the Hoover Digest. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm reading this book. Uh, I got to put up on Amazon. Successful black entrepreneurs, hidden histories, inspirational stories, and extraordinary business achievements. Case studies by Harvard Business School. I'll be going through that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be going through um, the self-help, the history of black entrepreneurship uh, by John... I forgot his last name, but I mentioned him earlier. I'm reading that. And then there's also this course, Alana, on at Harvard mm-hmm. Business School called uh, Scaling Minority Enterprises or something like that. <laughs> and what it's focused on is, I think, a lot of content from the book. But I'm planning mm-hmm. to take that in the fall online. So, like, okay. I'm going all in, right? I want to learn. Like you every, always do, though. Yeah, I want to learn what it takes, again, to alleviate poverty through entrepreneurship, to yeah. increase social mobility through entrepreneurship. And I want to target a demographic. I want to do a lot of my research targeting a demographic that I feel like is uh, uh, overlooked. Um, so, and here's another thing too about y'all reading this book and listening to this podcast. We are failing if we only support other black veteran entrepreneurs. Mm. Okay. Another caveat to the book is that you are supposed to take the knowledge and insights from that book and support black entrepreneurs in your local community, right? So the idea is if you go back to Cleveland and you start to grow your business, you hire people from Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. You buy a you buy a business in Florida, right? You hire people from Florida, right? The thing was like, I could write a book. I mean, we could write a book on whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is that we feel black veteran entrepreneurs is the great, how do I say, uh, beachhead to support the black community through, right? So again, I just don't want people to read the book and then not feel any obligation 
to mm. non-black veteran entrepreneurs. That's not what this is about. Yeah. Well, like you said, you say we say it in the back matter. It's it's in the book. It's superheroes don't exist, but you do. And that that's a testament to the fact that it's that black veteran entrepreneurs are an untapped resource in America. And that's because they've served their country and they can also then go serve their community in the fullness of what that means. And so go forth and do great things. <laughs> what do you want people to do, do next, Alana? You mean on this podcast or in general? <laughs> yeah, on the podcast. What do you want them to do next? Mike, you know, I'm supposed to be hosting, but I, I'm really not in the full rhythm of what that means. So you, you take it away. <laughs> Again, pass it along. And I think we put that in there. Don't just read it. Read it, implement it, and more than anything else, pass it along. Right? Yeah, so you come across somebody in your local community, give them a the book. You know of a transitioning veteran, give them a book. And one thing I, I didn't mention was when I spoke at that event in Philly, this young black Marine had just transitioned out, had probably been less than a year. He was just like... You know, when they get wide in the eyes, yeah. right? Um, I could just felt like I saw him. I mean, he felt like I could see, I saw him. You know, he wanted to come shake my hand and everything. And so let's just, just keep supporting each other, man. Let's keep helping each other. Life is hard. Entrepreneurship is harder. But yeah. we got a community that we're going to keep building and supporting. I absolutely agree. Do you want to take us take it away, Mike? While I, I work on my hosting skills. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate y'all. Until next time, everyone. Peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't have feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase our dreams, black man, and get that cream, black man. We the are